0: This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 28, Damayanti and Nala, Part 1. Last time, we followed Arjun's journey north, past the Himalayas, and into mythical worlds beyond. Making camp on a mountain peak on the borders of Indra's kingdom, Arjun commenced to performing awesome austerities. According to the rules of Bronze Age spirituality, the more you deprive and discipline the body, the more spiritual power you can accrue. Never one to resort to half-measures, Arjun went all out, going so far in his austerities that the gods themselves were threatened by his power. They need not have feared, because Arjun was not grasping for divinity. All he wanted was Shiva's weapons of mass destruction. Feeling the tug of Arjun's summons, Shiva descended to earth in the form of a tribal mountain man. Somehow knowing, but not knowing, the mountain man's identity, Arjun provoked a fight with the man. Arjun put up quite a fight, considering he was battling the Lord of Destruction, but his defeat was inevitable. Perhaps realizing that his defeat was imminent, Arjun engaged his opponent in a wrestling match. Shiva gave him a squeeze and crushed the hero into a ball of flesh. The narrative is obscure on whether Arjun was killed or just horribly maimed in this encounter, but Shiva restored him, gave him WMD, and sent him on to heaven where he visited with his father Indra. While the four brothers Pandava stewed in their forest huts, for five years, Arjun lived like a god in heaven, studying the arts of love and war. Meanwhile, news had reached the Karva court at Hastunapur of Arjun's journey into heaven. Vyasa had swung by for a visit and let it drop that Arjun was with Indra acquiring WMD. Once Vyasa had gone, Dhritarashtra turned to his confidant, the charioteer Sanjai. Fretfully, he asked, Have you heard about Arjun's trip to heaven? How can we possibly resist his attack?" my evil-spirited sons have all fallen into the power of death. I do not see how any anyone could stand up to this archer's attack. Karna is unstable and Drona is growing old. Sanjaya replied, What you say is true, because the Pandavas are fired with anger over the maltreatment of their wife. I am well aware of how Arjuna audaciously battled Shiva and won weapons from the world guardians. But I must say, by molesting Draupadi and enraging the Pandavas, your sons have brought this quarrel on themselves. However, By far your biggest mistake was that you overlooked the fact that they are Krishna's dear friends. You know, when he found out about the dice game, Krishna rushed down to the Kanyaka forest with many allies to meet with them. When he saw them in their reduced condition, he got indignant and promised to kill Duryodhana, Dushasan, and Karna, and then restore their kingdom. The only reason this has not already happened is that your nephew, the Dharma king, begged him to wait saying he must keep his word and wait out the full thirteen years before staking their claims then their allies all swore an oath to draupadi saying do not sorrow princess for we swear to you that the same ones who laughed at you will have their flesh eaten by carrion crows the earth will drink the blood of those who molested you wringing his hands helplessly, dritarashtra concluded when the time is run out there shall surely be war back at the Pont of his camp the remaining brothers moped around, missing Arjun and worrying about him. Choking back tears, Bishma scolded his elder brother. It was by your orders that Arjun left us for the mountains. He unquestioningly did as you told him, and now he may be lost to us. It was your gambling that led to all this, and yet you stopped us from killing the Karvas when we had the chance. It is not the dharma of kings to sit in the forest and wait. The dharma of kings is to be a king. Let's fetch Arjun and Krishna right now and finish this. I will slaughter the sons of Dhritarashtra, Karna, Shakuni, and anyone else who gets in the way. Don't tell me it would be a sin to cut the exile short. I am sure our Brahmins have a right or a spell to absolve us. We will surely attain the highest heaven, because we will have fulfilled our dharma. Besides, it is not considered a sin when a cheater is killed with deception. After Bhima had fully vented his frustration, Yudhishthira kissed his brother on the head and said, Without question, you shall kill Duryodhana. But after the thirteen years are over. But do not tell me the exile is over now, because falsehood is not in me. Time is only an illusion, and so your victory is as good as done already." While the family was thus occupied in their miseries, the sage Burhadashva arrived at their camp. After welcoming this holy guest, Yudhishthira confided his worries and concerns to the sage. Burhadashva said, Are you trying to tell me that you consider yourself the most miserable king? There is another king, who was unhappier than you. Yudhishthira said, Okay then, tell me about this unhappy king. Maybe his misfortunes will make me feel better. And so, Bharadashva began the story of Nala, king of Nishada. Nala was a powerful prince, much loved, good-looking, and interested in all the kingly pursuits, including weapons, hunting, and gambling. The story also concerns a certain princess, named Damayanti, the daughter of King Bhishma Vidarbha, She was one of those perfect beautiful princesses. To anyone who met them, they were obviously the most eligible marriage candidates in the land. Nala had heard of Damayanti's qualities, but she was safely ensconced in her palace, so Nala had no chance of meeting her. One day, while out hunting, Nala captured a wild goose. The goose spoke in a human voice and begged Nala not to kill him. The goose promised that if he were set free, he would visit Princess Damayanti and tell her about him. Nala was happy to agree to this, and he set the goose free. The goose rejoined his flock, and together they flew to Damayanti's garden. Damayanti and her handmaids saw this flock of geese alight in their courtyard, and they decided to try catching them. As each girl pursued a goose, the one Damayanti pursued turned and spoke to her. Princess, there is a king in Nishada named Nala, who rivals the twin Ashvins in beauty. No man is his equal. The goose went on, singing Nala's praises. Daimanti then asked the goose to return to Nala and tell him about her. After this, the princess could think of no one but Nala. She moped around the palace and nothing could make her happy. When her father Bhima was told of her condition, he concluded rightly that it was time to hold her swayamvar. So the king sent out invitations to all the eligible bachelors in India to come compete for his daughter's hand in marriage. Daimanti's beauty was so famous that the swayamvar drew all the kings from all over India. Meanwhile, up in heaven, Indra noticed something funny. Remember, Indra's realm is reserved for kings who die in battle, and Indra noticed that there were no new arrivals at his feast. Why had the kings stopped fighting and killing each other? The king of the gods turned to the sage Narada and asked what could have distracted the kingly class from their favorite pastime of killing each other. Narada then told the court about the big Swayamvara for Damayanti. Indra was intrigued. He looked to his buddies, the world guardians, and said, Let's all go to this swamvara and see what the fuss is." Thus, the five world guardians jumped on their vimanas and headed for Vidarbha. Nala, of course, had also heard of the big event, and was hurrying along when he came across the gods on their chariots. Indra saw Nala and was struck by his qualities. Landing his vimana, the god hailed Nala, saying, Nala of Nishada, best of kings, lend us your help and be our envoy. Nala prostrated before the gods and promised, I will do as you ask. What is it you would like me to do?" Indra told him, We are the gods Indra, Agni, Varuna, and Yama. You are to go directly to Damayanti and tell her that the gods have come to marry her. Tell her to choose from among us. At first flattered, Nala was now crushed. He begged, Please do not send me. I've come for the same reason. It was too late. He'd already agreed, and so Indra sent Nala straight to Damayanti's palace to announce the gods' arrival. The palace was surrounded by high walls and had a perimeter of burly soldiers, but this was nothing to Nala. He slipped unseen past the soldiers and climbed the wall. The princess Damayanti was shocked to see the strange man in her private quarters, but her heart raced uncontrollably at the sight of him. She demanded of him, who are you and how did you get in here? Nala replied, I am Nala of Nishada and I have come as an envoy of the gods. It is by their power that I got here. The gods are wooing you and they ask you to choose one of them as your husband damai bowed respectfully to the god's envoy and then said with a laugh let me know your true feelings please what can i do for you i'm at your service the words the goose spoke to me about you are consuming me it is because of you that i am having this swayamvar. if you should reject me i will kill myself nala asked how could you want a mortal man when the world guardians have come for you you really should turn to them because when mortals displease the gods, they only find death. So save me, princess, and choose one of the gods. Damayati only smiled and reassured Nala, saying, There's only one way to save yourself then. Show up at my swainvar, and I will choose you before all the people and all the gods, and at least you won't be to blame. Nala then made his way back out of the palace and presented himself to the gods. The gods asked him, So, did you get to meet the princess? What did she say? Nala was completely honest, and he told them apologetically what Damayanti had planned. The next day, King Pima convened the swayamvar for his daughter. All the greater and lesser kings of India filled the vast stadium while the world guardians watched down from their hovering Vimanas. Then Damayanti entered the arena, and all the kings were able to see this great beauty for the first time. Their eyes were transfixed on her while the names of all the kings were proclaimed. As Damaiati scanned the crowd for her chosen, she saw not one Nala, but five, all standing together. Each was an identical copy of the other. Realizing the trick, the girl began to worry how she might choose the real Nala and not one of the counterfeits. She puzzled this over, and then recalled that the gods are more perfect than mortals. They don't sweat, their clothes are perfect, and their feet really don't touch the ground. She looked more closely, but she couldn't make out any of these differences among them. Finally, out of ideas, she threw herself on the mercy of the gods. She bowed and declared, If it is true that I chose Nala to be my husband back when the goose spoke to me, then by that truth must the gods point him out to me now. The purity of her demand manifested the desired outcome. Something changed subtly about the five contestants, and Damayanti could suddenly make out a certain dinginess about one of the five men. There was a stain on the hem of his lungi, and flies were buzzing as he wiped sweat from his brow. The other four remained in their perfection, their feet didn't even touch the ground. Greatly relieved, the skipped down off the dais and placed her garland over the real Nala. All the other suitors groaned in disappointment, but the gods were delighted at the drama, and they cheered the victors. Feeling magnanimous, the gods even blessed the pair, promising them twins and giving gifts. Following the wedding ceremony, the happy couple left for Nishada where they enjoyed a blissful life as king and queen, giving birth to twins, a girl and a boy. Nala and his new queen spent all their time together, except when Nala was off doing all the great things that kings are known for, such as the Ashva made a horse sacrifice. Everything was just wonderful for the couple, and it seemed that they were destined to live a happy, uneventful life together, but for one incident. It turned out that following the great Swayamvar, as the world guardians were returning to their abodes, they encountered the two gods, Dvapar and Kali. Indra inquired where the two were headed, and Kali replied that they were suitors headed for Damayanti's bride choice. Indra laughed, saying, You're too late for that, my friend. The lovely princess has already chosen her groom. She has picked the mortal man Nala above even the gods. Now, I always thought that Kali was female, but in this story she was a he, and he didn't take kindly to being snubbed in favor of mere mortals. Kali said, If Damayanti picked a human before the gods, then she deserves severe punishment. Indra had just blessed this union, and now Kali was badmouthing the decision he had just endorsed. Indra got serious and said, Hold on a minute here. I just permitted Damayanti to choose Nala. He is a great guy and a deserving king. It would be utter foolishness to curse this fine couple. Indra and his companions then went on their way, imagining the matter had been settled. But that was not the case. Kali was only more outraged. He turned angrily to Devapara and said, Indra might think this is alright, but it really ticks me off. I've got to do something about this. I'm going to put these upstarts in their place. Kali then made himself invisible and snuck over to King Nala's palace. Kali's idea was to take control of Nala's mind and drive him to destruction. There was one problem with Kali's plan, however, which was the extreme purity by which Nala conducted his life. The power of his righteousness protected him from dark influences. So Kali was forced to wait 12 years, lurking at the palace and waiting for a chance to ruin this king. Finally, in the 12th year, Kali got his chance, when the king went out to the latrine and didn't wash his hands. This was just the kind of impurity the demon had been waiting for, and Kali imperceptibly slipped into Nala's mind. At the same time, Kali's friend, Dvapar, entered a pair of dice. Under Kali's influence, Nala then approached his opportunistic younger brother Pushkar, And suggested a friendly game of dice. Feeling uncomfortable with this, Damayanti asked Nala to give up the idea of dicing, but then Pushkar spoke up asking if Nala was afraid to play. Unable to decline a challenge, Nala now felt compelled to play. A slow motion version of the Pandavas dice game commenced in which Nala lost every wager to his brother. The stakes must have been much smaller because the game went on non-stop for months. The court, townspeople, and Damayati watched helplessly as the king gambled away everything he possessed. Try as she might, Damayati was unable to stop her husband in his folly. After this had gone on for two months, Damayati summoned the king's counselors and asked them to report on the king's finances. They consulted their accounts and told the queen that they were nearly out of money. Thinking quickly, Damayati summoned the king's most trusted friend, his charioteer Varshneya. She said to him, The king has treated you well over the years, but now he has fallen on hard times. Both I and his advisers have begged him to desist from his gambling, yet now he is nearly ruined. As you love your king, I must ask you a favor. Please take Nala's best chariot and fastest horses. Take my children, the prince and his sister, and bring them to my father's house. Keep them safe. The book then says Varshnea went to the king's ministers and checked with them. The councillors approved Amayati's plan and the charioteer departed with the children for Vidarbha. Arriving at King Bima's palace, Varshneya delivered the children, the chariot, and the horses. As for the charioteer, he wandered unhappily drifting from place to place until he finally settled in Ayodhya where he entered the king's service. Following Varshneya's departure, the gambling went on day and night until Nala was wiped out. After staking and losing his kingdom, Nala had nothing left to wager. His triumphant brother laughed and asked, I think you're bankrupt, brother. What else do you have to stake? All you've got left is your wife. Why don't you stake her? Maybe your luck will finally come back. Nala did not rise to the bait. He simply shrugged off his remaining jewelry and removed his expensive robes and left the game wearing only a loincloth. Damayanti did not want to be evicted by her brother-in-law. Instead, she put on a one-piece sari and followed her husband into the forest where the impoverished couple made their camp. As soon as the couple departed, the new king Pushkar ordered his subjects to keep away from Nala and his wife. Thus, the pair were left cold and hungry on the borders of their former kingdom. After three days of exposure and hunger, Nala saw a pair of birds. Starving, he took off his loincloth and threw it over the birds. The birds then flew off, carrying the cloth away with them. This left poor Nala naked and hungry and not a friend in the world. As they flew away, one of the birds called out, we are the dice who took your kingdom. We saw you still had this cloth, so we come to take that away too. I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger until next time, when we'll finish the story of Nala and Damayanti. By the time we're done, you'll realize that your distrada didn't have it so bad after all. Before I go, I'd like to thank you for the comments on the blog, and especially the ratings on iTunes. If you haven't done it yet, please visit the Mahabharata podcast entry at Bytunes and leave comments and ratings, it is the very best way to get other people listening to this show. Please also be sure to check out the blog for this podcast, which is at MahabharataPodcast.com. I post additional details on each episode, and you can leave comments and let me know what you think. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening.